You're listening to a podcast from www.aussiewriters.com.au where we celebrate talented Australian writers and their books. Welcome to the Aussie Writers Podcast for this week. And this week I've got a treat for you all because as self-published authors, most of you, Um, You can work out with a little help from your friends how to write, how to edit, how to publish, how to get a great cover, all those things. But then what do you do about getting it out there? You can't run around to every bookstore in Australia and perhaps you'd like to get it distributed uh, outside of Australia as well. So the answer, ladies and gentlemen, is getting a really good distributor and I've got one of the best with me today. This is Dennis Jones from Dennis Jones and Associates and he is going to tell us all the ins and outs of distribution. Welcome Dennis. Thank you very much. Um, The best people have tried it. It's a very hard job to do because you have to perform to high standards every day, every hour. Uh, People's expectations certainly exceed the ability of what the marketplace can offer. Um, so it's, it's, it's highly combative. Uh, some of our self-published authors are mercurial in, in what they've achieved and what we've helped them attain, but it, it really is it, it's, it's a hard slog out there because you're competing against the majors, you're competing against the prejudice of self-published works, um, you're competing against the environment where you haven't established a product with a group of editors, a group of managers, a group of marketing experts. Um, I'm very lucky. I came from a wonderful background. I worked with a company called Collins Publishers, later to become Harper Collins. I worked with them for something like 21 years, and they were 21 glorious years of big business. Uh, I was very well looked after as a senior executive. I enjoyed the company of so many of the people and the authors that I worked with. And even though that's something like <clears throat> about a quarter of a century ago, I still maintain close contact with some of those people. So mm. I'm, yeah, one of the lucky ones. Mm. How, how I actually came to work for Collins Publishers was quite a strange situation. We were at high school. Uh, we were Where watching, did you go to high school? I went to Glen Waverley High School in Melbourne. Glen right. Waverley was an yes. outer suburb there then uh, with sort of muddy tracks to it. Um, but attracted some really fine teachers. And as a wayward student, as most students were in those days, it wasn't until you know, one of the two of the teachers became really interesting in what they professed that we could do as students, which was to really you know, base our own future on what we wanted to do. So it enabled me to you know, read things like uh, Blaney, Manning Clark, A.G.L. Shaw, uh, to go back into dipping into Machiavelli, and things like that. So I didn't study literature, but I studied history. And it was so rich to me. Um, you know, childhood to us was, was good, but it, it wasn't a house stacked with books, unfortunately. Um, so by the Did time, you have any good English teachers? Well, I did, but the, the, the profession of English for me was something that I really didn't um, care much for. Really? It was, the, it was laborious. Um you know, I disliked having to sort of work through all the old English classics of you know, Dickens and Shakespeare. Yeah, it was boring. I'd rather go and play football or ride motorbikes. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Like many boys. Well, ab- absolutely. <laughs> Action-packed. Ab- absolutely. My, my, my father was a returned soldier. Uh, all he wanted to do was have a good time in life and to be thankful that he was back in Australia and married and had children. So um, we we lived under his mantra. However, <clears throat> by the time I decided that um, as a failed law student um, and unable to... <laughs> and what, con- were you not interested in the law? Well, or- I, truthful, I, I, was, I was immature. Yes. I was an 18 or 19-year-old who had grand ambitions on himself um, and at the later part of uh, high school matriculation year, you know, we, we garnered a group of uh, people who... My colleagues, my contemporaries who saw themselves as better than anyone out there. Because in those days, <laughs> to reach matriculation, gee, that was something. Because you were and then obviously bound... you did well to get oh, into well, law. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I failed law and I was sort of down on my knees saying, well, what do I do now? 
Um, so I put myself in the hands of a management consultant at the age of, I think, about 20, which was pretty well unheard of in about 1969. Sure, yeah. Um, I didn't even know they had them. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, they, they asked me had I read books, and I said, oh, yeah, sure, sure, I like the pretty simple colour ones. I know, seriously, Dennis. So I said, well, probably the best book I've read is Tyranny of Distance by Geoffrey Blaney. And I extolled the virtues of the Tyranny of Distance to them. The guy goes, hold on, don't say any more. We've so far sent 150 applicants to William Collins. They want a trainee sales executive. And would you work for very little money? I said, yeah, I'm desperate. Um, so my girlfriend with her fur coat and myself, you know, rocked into the offices. We were taken down the RACV club. Uh, I met a chap called Ken Wilder. Ken still lives out in Barrel. He's in his 90s. Right. Um, and I'd never met anyone like Ken in my whole life, someone who was able to talk about books and writers. Uh, so I accepted a job there. Um, and I lasted there for something like 21 years. It was, you know, I'd worked with uh, David Attenborough, Dr. Zeus. Wow. Um, How exciting. So many people. How I was exciting. even thinking of it the other day, we were in the, in the company of Malcolm and Kitty Muggeridge, and we saw Mother Therese. It, it's sort of, it, it is spine, it is tingling stuff. Yes. Uh, the other night, we're, we're in Canberra at the moment. The other night, I was watching uh, Free to Wear television, and there was a show on about Joy Adamson and George Adamson uh, talking about Born Free. The chairman, or Sir William Billy, as he was known, uh, Sir William had created books for these people. So it's just an astounding time. Uh, what a ride. What a, oh, what a thrilling it was ride. So, um, yeah. However, after the end of um, 20 odd years, I thought, oh, maybe it's time to do something else. So I, uh, yeah, I resigned. Um, they weren't terribly happy about it. Um, so I resigned and thought, wouldn't it be fun to work for an American business? So I applied for a sales agency job with a company called Ingram in America. It took me a year and a mm, half. Heard of them. <laughs> it took me a year and a half of. Um, Faxing, uh, they said, sure, come and meet us at the ABA in Miami that year. So I flew across, um, and after 20 minutes, they said, Dennis, by the time you get back to Australia, there'll be a, an agreement for you. So Fantastic. Um, I started working as a sales agent with Ingram at the same time as building our own distribution business. When I say building the business, it was... Who's we? Was it my, you and my your wife? My wife and I. My, my yeah. wife, she... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, she decided to stay at a full-time work um, for most of her life until I started this business, and then she had to come back and work again. With so we had little children around us, um, so in nineteen ninety-one we started this business. Uh, our first books fitted on, I think, an envelope in terms of the titles we had. Uh, it was a matter of um, yeah, living from day to day. Uh, it, it was hard. People would laugh at me, giggle. Look at how Dennis has gone down in life. Because um, the car that the company gave me is a departing gift. I couldn't afford to run it. So yes. I had to squat into a minute Toyota motor car. More giggles from people. Um, so you struggled. But the people we struggled with, uh, some of those businesses, you know, they're still with us today. One of the first businesses was a company called Belinda Audio, run, run by some very close friends, uh, the Walshers. Um, that and that's was, big today. <clears throat> yeah, it's extraordinary. So we've seen the growth of that business. Uh, in fact, we sent them a contract last week for our first audio book that we've sold, uh, Global Rights, to them. Um, sometime late last year, I called people to take me out of Lucky Dip, but I was sent a PDF of a book by a chap uh, who lives in Hong Kong um, called Personal Best. I read the PDF and I thought this is such a brilliant book um, about sporting acumen, about the ability to focus on the, the end result, about how to, how to accept pain in what we have to go through when we're performing in our life. Mm. So I communicated with Josh uh, over, I think, Boxing Day or something like that. Um, he's allowed us to take global uh, e-book distribution, global print-on-demand distribution, allowed me the authority to take other options as to how to sell the product. Uh, I immediately, upon finishing it, wrote to Rebecca Herman at Belinda saying, before you do anything on Monday morning, do not even let the staff in until you've read this book. And if this doesn't excite you to either invigorate your staff 
um, to a higher level, or sack half of them, then the book hasn't served its purpose. So strangely, it's in fact in this department where I write that email. So within a week, we got the offer on that for global audio, which means it'll be able to be downloaded. So as you're driving in your anywhere, the book will be available in print, global print on demand, global ebook, audio. Um, and that's, that's where we live today. That's exactly right, and that's what I tell all of my clients that you need audio, ebook, print book, everything. I think because consumers today, consumers, consumers, frankly, they don't care about the bleatings and tears from some people in terms of uh, protecting aged laws. Uh, mm. Consumers decided back in the nineteen nineties as to how they wanted to purchase their content, mm. and it wasn't about at all times going to. Yeah, a wonderful place where content of books are curated perfectly, like I was in Paper Chain this morning. Mm. Wonderful range of books. Beautiful, wonderful. beautiful. But consumers, consumers rule. Consumers want to be able to select from you know, the millions and millions of books that are available in the format that they desire, be it um, print, be it whatever format is available, because mm. that's what consumers can do. So as an industry... Uh, we've done, you know, a bit of a disservice in the way that we have upheld certain territorial copyright conditions, mm. and it's it's my belief that in fact that has allowed Book Depository to get such a strong foothold in Australia because the books weren't here, and we had a situation where consumers were disenchanted. So we've we've in fact contributed to the growth of this um, big business called Book Depository, which is in fact owned by Amazon. Um, and it's, it's very, very prevalent in Australia. Yeah. I have to say, uh, we supply book depository. They send us an order twice per day. Uh, we feed an Onyx file to them every morning. And that Onyx file allows us to calibrate all of the in-stocks. We have about 4,000 different titles. So it means that um, every morning the Onyx file goes out to a variety of vendors, or those vendors come and pick up the Onyx file from a FTP site, so it means that the transparency of the availability of the works has never been better. Mm. Um, so for all of those authors, small publishers, we, we do have the way to put their works across many, um, many platforms, many ways to purchase them. Um, we, and you have a wonderful newsletter that goes out, I <clears> checked it out, where your <clears> book, if Dennis distributes or chooses to distribute your book, um, he, it'll be a, a beautiful file that, amongst all the other books that he has with the, the picture and the information and, and, and it goes out to all, how many bookstores? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure. We, we put the book up on, we put the order form up on issue. Mm -hmm. uh, we put the availability of the order form mm -hmm. out to about 2,100, 2,200 uh, businesses, be they authors, publishers, Fabulous. booksellers. Yes. Um, and and Australia and New Zealand. And yes. Predominantly Australia. We have distribution in New Zealand. We have some New Zealanders that come and pick up the order form. Mm -hmm. But we also back it. We print, I think, maybe 800 uh, of them in colour and they're distributed through salespeople. We still believe in having salespeople walking into shops saying, I like this book. You should buy it because we think these are the consumers. So at the moment, we're having wonderful fun uh, with a book that's going, that is going to be titled The Prince and the Assassin, where the oh, publisher, right. uh, David Tenenbaum from Melbourne Books, has been really, um, really great in the way that he's enabled us to start talking very early about it to the trade. So when we are walking into a bookshop, you know, we said that this book will suit those people that read um, Peter Fitzsimons, those people that read that sort of uh, calibre of, of product. The guy that's written, Steve Harris, he's the ex-head editor of Melbourne Age, Melbourne Herald Sun, and you know, he, he writes wonderful books. And we think that through the mechanism of having the right sales aids, um, the right advance warning... I have to say on this book, we actually started the challenge of marketing it back in October last year. Um, in October last year, we were invited to display at the Leading Edge Booksellers Conference, which is a major event on the Gold Coast uh, in March this year. 
um, we, we highlighted uh, a lot of our lead titles um, and Prince of the Assassin was one of those titles that we highlighted. So here I am as the uh, an Australian book distributor, not foreign-owned, not subsidised, um, not endowed with grants or anything like that. Uh, so my booth at this exhibition was in between Penguin Random House and Alan Unwin Fan. opposite Scribe. Fantastic. So, and just for the listeners, um, the Leading Edge is an association of booksellers. Just Yeah, so all the booksellers belong to the Leading Edge and those little newsletters that you get from the bookshop um, showing all the specials and all the you know books that, they, that people should buy, that all comes from Leading Edge. Yes, a, a lot of them, Leading Edge is uh, a corporation. They have Leading Edge Music, Leading Edge Jewellery, various Leading Edge brands. Um, and they've been very helpful to booksellers in Australia in terms of banding the publishers together and providing you know, superior marketing opportunities for the publishers channelled through the booksellers. Mm-hmm. But the, the point is that it, it's highly competitive. So I started mm-hmm. in October last year on this particular title, which won't be released till August this year. We're a book distributor. But wow. the yeah. Uh, yeah, the publishers, if you explain the process, explain the combative nature of the process, and that we've got to rub shoulders um, as, as a sales group against the majors, you know, generally they're really helpful how they how they come across. Mm. Uh, coincidentally, I just finished reading another book from this publisher um, where uh, the the the, mate, the subject he. Um, has a bad, he breaks his spine in two places. He's in British Columbia. He's working as a geophysicist or wow. something. Mm. Um, so we read the first, read the draft of the book over the last two nights and then said to the publisher, we somehow have got to have a way to market this book back into uh, Vancouver hospitals and through right. Colorado and right. through Banff and Jasper. So we will have, uh, you know, print on demand edition. Fantastic. And we'll have a, yeah. an ebook edition, and those POD editions mean that they sit on databases throughout the world. So if you rock into the Barnes and Noble, or sorry, Tanner Cover in Denver, Colorado, and say, hey, I want a copy of the book broken, they'll go to the database, and there it is. It'll be printed in Tennessee um, next day through Lightning Source, and it'll be in the consumer's mm. hands within mm. the week. Mm. So we, we've avoided this unnecessary clunkiness of sending. Product all around the world, you know, put in big ships and put yeah, no print on demand like is that. the way to go now. Well, print, print on demand, especially internationally. The print mm. on demand's been fabulous for us. We've just sold our first POD titles, print on demand titles in Poland. I don't know what wow. they were, wow. but we've got got them listed on a Polish database. That's fantastic. Um, so it really, it really opens up, yeah, sort of not so the mercurial side, but it opens up so many opportunities. However. The, the main event is still working in Australia. The main event is overcoming the prejudices mm. of the gatekeepers mm. and the gatekeepers what saying... What do you say about the... Um, I think the biggest problem that we have in terms of really good writers emerging and being recognised is that we're a prize-driven culture. And if you, know, if you haven't won a prize, it's very hard to be heard out there. What do you think about that? Um... I think on one hand, we, we, we're overburdened with prizes. Um, every day there's another writers' festival. Um, every day there's another prize. So, you know, the value of the Stellars, the Miles Franklin, they sort of get diminished. However, uh, they're the prizes that we... There's a bookshop you should go to in Noosa called Mary Ryan, Noosa, and Ross, the guy that owns the store, his front window is a list of all Miles Franklin winners back for the last 50 years. How exciting. And it's exciting. I, I visit the window you know, once a year and mm. say, have I read more of the Miles Franklin winning books? Um, mm. Coincidentally, we're trying to get through a Miles Franklin, uh, the two out of print title, to launch at the announcement of the shortlisting, the Miles Franklin 2017 awards. Right. Sort of um, guerrilla tactics. Right. Because... As a small business with this other publisher, we've got to sort of be gangsters in the way we um, 
crash, you know, the big guys' parties, <laughs> but I, I'm up to it. That's so. wonderful. What I love about you is you've been doing this for decades and look how excited you still are. Look how passionate you still are. It's fantastic. Well, I, I think I, I realised that if I, if I maintained corporate life, one thing I'd be really well off. Um, secondly, I'd have a use-by date and the two don't live together. So I'd much rather be in my own position. Um, I, take, I take great pride in you know, having once spoken to Rupert Murdoch. Um, you know, like Rupert's in his mid-80s. If Rupert can do it, Dennis can do it. Why can't a few more of us do it? So at work, we sort of des- des- I'm trying to design it that um, I can be useful there for a great period of years. <laughs> and what it allows me to do is to be more, I guess, emphatic than I've ever been um, because the, the conquest in Australia, in fact globally, um, is to secure a good entry for people's works to ensure that if you've got that entry position with the product, is it going to be good enough to meet the scrutiny of the consumers? Is it going to be good enough to meet the, the scrutiny uh, of the media? Um, and it's hard work. We, we're really lucky in as much as we... We were quite closely with the publicist in Sydney, Debbie McGuinness, um, and we point Debbie at many of those projects where they really need a hand. We recently distributed a book called When Hell Freezes Over, which is about ice addiction. Um, wow. Terrifying. The publisher came with something like two to three years ago with it as a project. It didn't look the way we... It didn't look commercial enough. He went back with his author, um, polished it up, um, we had a really great meeting with the publisher and the publicist uh, maybe 12 months ago where we said, no, that the time of the year to bring it out is this time of the year. So we released it in March uh, this year, which was something, I think, seven months after the meeting. So it takes that long to mm-hmm. really put the, the product in a, in a logical mm-hmm. order. Mm-hmm. So Everything takes longer than you think in publishing, I believe. Um, uh, look, look, it does because you've got... You work on a, we, we, in a sales sense, we work on a slightly encyclical basis. Yeah. Uh, our sales territories, our worst sales territories are probably the one I'm doing now where I only come, I only go to Marimbula every eight weeks, or an hour every eight weeks. Uh, our Adelaide sales territory that Trevor looks after, he's in there, he does a circuit, I think, in a fortnight. Okay. So the territories. And then the major publishers, because they're driven by, you know, Extremely good organisation. I know from the years we spent with Harper, it was military style. We had to all sit down, fly in every month for five days and sit down be addicted to critical path planning between uh, marketing, marketing operations, warehouse, production. Nothing was an accident. You knew what was going to happen because you were part of a chain. You know, if um, a guy called Eddie Bell decided to give Sydney Sheldon you know, in advance for 200,000 copies from Australia, we had to work out how to, where would we put 200,000 copies in Australia? Yes. So with with the advent of the simplicity of self-publishing through you know, a variety of things like uh, KDP, Create Space, etc., mm. etc., you can you can actually turn a book around in a few days if you want to. But if you want to, yes, that's The consequences right. are that... It just goes into that sort of um, bilge pool of um, what adulterated content, and yes. it's very difficult to fish something out of it. No, I mean, and you're not doing yourself any favours, are you? Uh, if you write it in a weekend and then expect it to be of the standard that all the best books are, well, yeah, the, the books the books have got to go through edit after edit. And the skill is it so as when the reader gets that final experience, they're faced with the printed page or the screen. They've got to be gripped from the, the first chapter. And from that first chapter, it doesn't matter whether it's 100 pages, 300, 500. I have to say, we do find that people tend to overwrite and that the commerciality of um, <clears throat> you know, a self-published author, I produce 500 pages. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, isn't that boring? Can't you say it in fewer words than that? Absolutely. Um, because you can't write 
like the major authors, major authors can write as much as they want to, but if you're an entry li- entry level author, write something that two hundred page consumed, book is fine. Yeah, can be consumed within a reasonable amount of time because the the problem is that if in fact you're going to be doing it on a print on demand basis, you're not paying by section, you're paying by page. And so the book has got to be skillfully edited, well designed to ensure that it meets the page size opportunities of the POD system. Um, and a great cover. Well, <clears throat> we look at the covers and we go, I won't say, and it, it, you, you live or die by the cover. Yeah. You know, if you say to the, the booksellers, or if it comes down on a thumbnail and it looks horrible, mm. people aren't going to open it. Mm. It doesn't matter how good mm. the internals are. You, know, you tend to want to rip the jackets off mm. the... Now, there is one story I could tell about one of the books we had maybe two years ago where in order to get the right um, media, um, someone ripped the jackets off the books because they didn't think the jackets were strong enough. So the media read the book without a jacket. Oh, my goodness. And then we, then we still distributed the book with a jacket that was created. Right. But no one knows that story. <laughs> um, Insider secrets, ladies and gentlemen. Well, yeah. So it's sort of, you, it, it's like standing on a, my job's like standing on a street corner and being assailed by um, various people and opportunities. Yes. Luckily, I work with really um, interesting, loyal, valued people. We don't have yes. many new people in the business because when you grow a business from nothing, from sort of the glove box in the motor car to what we have today, it is a process, and it's a process of um, failure, success, of work. Yeah. turbulence, um, disloyalty, value... It's life. Yeah. You can't predict. You know, like mm. today, uh, <clears throat> I was reading one of the blogs and all of a sudden we realised, hey, we've got a book on the long list of Miles Franklin. Wow. So, yeah. That's fabulous. exciting. Yeah, That's Philip exciting. Salon, waiting. Oh, so I, I contacted the office and said, said to Janet, do you, you realise we've got a long-listed book? And she said, hold on, hold on. It's there. So it's, it's a thrill. Because yes. it means that um, of all the books that have been long-listed, uh, it's probably the only book from a smaller publisher. The rest of them are That's these mighty, enormous businesses. That's wonderful. So, so for our listeners, and uh, you know, a lot of them are self-published authors out there, What? why should they go with Dennis Jones? <laughs> well, that's that's an interesting question because... We won't be successful in every book. No. We. Which is to be expected. Well, it's it's not a push button system. It, it's not um, a turnkey situation. Um, if we get, if we're allowed to be introduced to the book kindly, mm-hmm. which means that um, we can read something, which means that the the creator of the book sends us an idea of what the media plan could be who the ultimate consumers could be, um, whether those ultimate consumers are male or female, whether in their 20s, 30s, 80s. Mm. So the demographics of the ideal reader. It's Mm. a whole marketing scheme. And we might sell 100 copies Mm. or less Mm. because, you know, some of the the gatekeepers, um, libraries are sharpening up on what they buy as well. So if it's a self-published book, yeah, some of those libraries they want to see finished copies before they will agree to buy them. So it's not. Um, why come with us? Well, I, there are other businesses out there, you know, maybe one or two, um, and you should look at the market because whilst there are only one or two other businesses like ours, uh, we each have our own uh, way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, we have each have our own um, sort of segments of the market. We, I guess, because because I have to look at the future of where I work, we are adamant that we want to have content that enables us to put it across various platforms of print, if it's suitable ebook, um, and if there's a wider potential independent demand, because those business facilities are actually very helpful in terms of revenue for the uh, the author or the publisher. 
-hmm. they're durable. Like book life cycles, if you're looking at a a retail outlet in Westfield Shopping Centre, you have a book life cycle of a couple of weeks, basically. And then, here we go, here's another truckload, here's the toll truck there, more books, Mm -hmm. and you go, oh my God, the, the churn. Whereas the life cycle you get through online is considerably longer. It's slower in terms of the peak of the demand, but the demand is drawn out much longer. And certainly the life cycle we found, particularly with non-fiction in terms of e-book, is much more durable as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> your, so, so your book has got to be aimed at someone. The other thing is that we, we constantly get people saying, my very best friend liked the book. My very best friend acknowledged <laughs> this is the best work she's ever read. My mother liked it. <laughs> and so we go, oh, no, don't tell us that. It's not possible. It's not a commercial reason why no. we should be doing this. It's not a commercial right. reason why you should be slaughtering the trees or something. Go and plant a bush, something like that. Now, don't bother us with this sort of print expectation that it's the biggest book since. Yeah. Um, so really what they should be doing is putting a very professional face forward for you, um, a really strong structured marketing plan. And it, it's like going for a job interview. Yes. Like I once a went pitch. for a job interview. Yes. And you had to have references, you had to have referees. Um, you had to be able to enter into a dialogue, which meant you, you understood something about where you were going to. Um, Because once people, you know, I sort of draw the analogy of investment in, yeah, in racehorses or writing or shares. People don't. You know, people have got masses. Sorry, some people have a lot of shares and a lot of private investments. Um, And if the stock market goes up, stock market goes down. But if it's a book, uh, all sense of logic just goes out the window because... Why is my book a bestseller? That's right. And and the other thing that, that I think is very important for the writers out there is that one book a millionaire does not make. <laughs> and the best writers out there are already writing their, their next book when the first one goes out. So like shares, you, you, you don't <clears throat> put all your eggs in one basket. So get the book to the stage that it's the best that it can be and give it the best shot in terms of pitching it and having some sort of marketing plan or marketing idea and then get writing on your next one and then the next and then the next. And eventually, when you've got enough books out there, you might earn a decent living. Um, yeah, you, you, you will. You've just got to be able to you know, sustain the, the time where you get to that. Uh, have another job. Um, what the what the Australian industry has done with some of the authors has been incredible. Um, you know, they didn't all start off as bestsellers, but they work consistently. Um, and like, to look at someone like Tom Keneally. Tom, he's been in this game since the '60s, basically, um, and he never gives in. No, he's a prolific producer. Absolutely. And our next interview is with Tom Keneally, really? so that's wonderful on wow. Thursday. Um, so um, listen out for that one. But, yeah, it's the work ethic, isn't it? I, w- I was talking to Anthony Hill, another prolific writer, and, um, you know, he's uh, disciplined. They work every day, so many words a day and every day and for years and years and years. And uh, look at Bryce Courtney, what, what his <laughs> output was. It was incredible, wasn't it? Well, yeah, these, these people are sort of doyens. They're at the top of the hill and we're lucky to have had them yes. because without having team leaders, none of us will ever get anywhere or would have yes. ever gone That's anywhere. Right. We learn a lot so, from these masters. Uh, yeah, we're, we have great writers. We have great creative people here. Mm. Um, that's right. And great new publishing houses coming up too, which I think are, are very exciting. We've interviewed a few of them um, and very, very exciting for the future of Australian of Australian publishing. Can we quickly go to, I know we're running out of time, um, how, just say someone pitched a book to you and you liked it, you decided you'd take it on, 
how does the costing work out for them? How, you know, what will they get um, and what does your business take? You know, obviously it, you are in business, so you need to make some money. <laughs> That's obvious. Um, we're a commercial business. We have to essentially give the same discounts that the major businesses give. Um, major businesses are underpinned by uh, great structures, great scalable businesses. Um, we're not scalable. Uh, we work out of two warehouses. Um, I, it, it's a commercial, you know, we have our terms and conditions, but essentially books get consigned to us. Uh, we pay on the basis of um, sales that we make. We have a delay in payments until we can collect the money um, and then repay that money uh, to our suppliers. Um, we've worked in the same set of um, discount off retail principles, I think for about the last five or six years, enables us to discount the same way that the majors do to a place like Wiktopia. It enables us to have the confidence to offer uh, business like Dimex, their you know, specific head office terms that they want. Um, and there, there are hidden costs. We don't... In saying there are hidden costs, the hidden costs are the things you don't as a creator assume knowledge of, like our samples. We, we have something like 10 to 15 people we have to send samples to. We pay for the freight on those samples, but they come off the publisher's inventory. Um, if, the, if, we, if we delve deep more deeply and decide that we think the book is good enough to give away you know, 40, 60, 80 copies to some of our best readers... Um, that comes out of the publisher's money. Um, so if we then de decide that the book should be in you know, some different formats, there are small fees to do upload uploads to print on demand. Um, but it's yeah, if, if people want to discuss about costings, contact me directly, and we would indicate those. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, th I think they're fair. Um, we have a business that pays GST, that pays superannuation guarantee charges, we have insurances, we have FBT taxes, we have all nightmares of running a small business in Australia. Um, mm. And we also live under the, um, yeah, the, the, the cloud that small businesses work under, and that is you know, disintermediation, that there's enough large businesses in Australia to go around. Would you want to start... Um, an electrical or a white goods business next to Jerry Harvey? Would you want to start you know, a white goods business next to the pending arrival of Amazon in Australia? Of course you wouldn't. Um, you know, small business. So we, we try to work with the suppliers. Uh, we don't negotiate uh, because once we start negotiating, it, it's a downhill mm. trend where if the book's the successful... The race to the bottom. <laughs> if the book's successful, then... The margin we have to operate on, it's not scalable. Some people have the idea, more the more you sell, the cheaper it gets for you to sell it. It's actually not the case. You've still got to re-promote and promote because unless you're at the coalface again, say to people, in a didactic sense, I said this to you, and I'm going to say it to you again, people forget. Um, so... Hmm. So they should they should contact you and um, get all the all the information about their particular book, and you will have a quick process to say yes or no to the distribution. Well, I'd of that like book. to be a quick process, but the reality is, it, it does take us. Um, if if I'm away from the office and I can read something, and I sort of adore it, you know, we get on right away and say, "Hey, this is great. I like this. Yeah. I want to work with this." Um, that doesn't happen every day. So yeah. we, we have a process where um, there are two or, two or three of us at the office have got the approval to say yes or no. Uh, so Janet Judge, who does most of the approval, um, she'll sit down and discuss projects with me. Yes. But because people have holidays and sick time, etc., etc., we don't sit down talking about the books every day. Mm. But it's, it's a two- to three-week process. Fair enough. That's and by the time the authors look at the agreements, they say, gee, these are long agreements, aren't they? And I go, well, I can't write them any shorter. 
And because the agreements cover both uh, print, print on demand and ebook, they can be wordy. Mm -hmm. But we tried to set it out in a way that fully exposes what the risks and the costs are. Mm -hmm. um, because what we can't afford to do is to turn around and say, oh, didn't you read that section? Mm. We supply the books into the book trade on a sale or return basis, mm. which means that... After um, 90 days, if they haven't sold your book, they'll send it back. Well, it will. So you know, if you're walking around the shops in January or February, February and you hear the sound of uh, tape in the back room where the shop's being used, you know there are returns going back to publishers and suppliers. Boy, it's a dreadful sound. <laughs> I'll bet. Because what happens then is we, we, we ran into a couple of problems a couple of years ago where we built up something like in excess of a quarter of a million units of stock being returned from shops. We didn't have a well-enforced pulping policy. Wow. So we, in those years, we would spend in excess of a six-figure amount on sending books out, which would ultimately yes. come back to us. Wow. And it's... so a we huge just, loss you can't afford. Well, massive. It's unsustainable. Yes. So we no. just have got to be a lot harsher, more disciplined, mm. and, you know, rightly mm -hmm. or wrongly, take less risk. Okay, so two questions from that. What circumstances would you pulp books? Um, we, we give the authors the option to take a pulp agreement where they just sign the pulp clause or if they want the book sent back to them, uh, periodically they tick the, the sent back clause. Okay, it, so, so, so they've got a choice. Uh, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they have the choice. Okay. Um, with the pulp, it goes down, the pulp truck arrives. Yes. Um, we actually don't transact any money over the pulp, but it gets turned into, I don't know, egg cartons or Whatever. something. Whatever. But <laughs> what a horrible thought for your book. Oh, it, um, it, it is. I did an interview with um, ABC maybe last year, and one of my closest publishing friends had called me you know, the, um, the book murderer. I thought that was horrible to say that. What a horrible thing to say, but you can understand the emotion behind it. Um, the second question I have is, if the book's successful, you have said, what would you consider successful for a book? Well, that's a great question because um, with some of the books, because they're so precise in the market that they're aimed at, if we sell a couple of hundred copies, we'd, we'd be happy because we know we've satisfied the available market. Other books where we've only sold a miserable thousand copies, you know, I shake my head and say, why didn't it work? We, we did everything we should have done with it. Mm. Uh, we did all of the required pre-work, you know, the involvement. Mm. Um, and it only so sold a thousand. It only sold, and you go, why did it happen? So you, you sort of struggle. Uh, so in the build-up to each Christmas... Um, you know, I walk around the retailers. I take, I, I, I take the position where I want to see our books out front, up front, and displayed, and get rid of those other books published by overseas publishers yeah. or foreign authors, and put mine or our you know, yes. the books that we distribute up there up front. And some of them won't do it because uh -huh. they've got so much money invested in other books. Yeah, but you've got to. You've got to go out there with that strength and commitment. Mm. Um, so, so what about one that's very successful? How many, well, how many I, copies would you say would be... I mean, a bestseller in Australia is 5,000, isn't it? Well, a bestseller in Australia is, you know, depends on the time, time of year it was released, what was the competition. Um, I, I, I cobbled together a publication program over the you know, 800-odd publishers we have to try and have some sense of the future richness when we're talking and approaching people uh, with all of these works. Uh, and at the bottom of it, I've got uh, 2016 Heroes. So there are three books. One's The Art of Frugal Hedonism, where I guess we've sold 45,000. Um, know, that's done really well through a, a sector. I guess it's a sector of young people in the marketplace that have bought it. Um, and the other one is a book called Food as Medicine. You know, we sold thousands of it. It's a $55 cookbook. Wow. Uh, we got really, the publishers were really good. They came to us early. 
we embedded that we get a really good publicist on it, so we sold thousands of them. Uh, with that one, when we microanalyze, we just staggered it. Something like 40% have gone through online businesses. Right. Which is, yeah, it's probably a little bit high. Mm. It means the trade hasn't sold enough. Right. Um, yes. So we have this sort of litmus test numbers. Yes. And the other one is through a publisher called Hybrid in Ormond in Victoria. Where mm, I'm they, familiar they took, with them. Yeah, one of my clients the punt, used them. Yep. Yeah, they, they took the punt on a book called The Bunting Quest. And The Bunting Quest, beautiful jacket, really well designed and laid out. Uh, one of a one of the bookshops in Perth has sold three hundred copies of it, four hundred copies. It's fantastic. And we, yeah. you know, that one bookshop, you know, what merit? So we've sold a lot of it in um, offset print, uh, ebook, yeah. and so you have your heroes. Yeah. You know the other hero books. There, there are a lot of them. Some of the books, you know, we're up to fifty thousand, hundred thousand of them uh, over the time. Yes, over a couple of years, a yeah, few years. Over, yeah, over the years, yeah. and they're sustainable. It's wonderful. If you hit on something that's sustainable, then, yeah. gee, it's great to have. I wish we had a bigger stable of them. An but, evergreen book. <laughs> but that, that doesn't happen. You know, no, not, not very often. Normal life is not like that. Normal no, life's, no, um, that's know, right. Up and down and, and change. But still, and at the end of the day, you know, distributing with you is going to get the book to many more places than if, if you're the author trudging around. <laughs> well, we, and, we do. And it look, it's much more professional too. Look, it fits a model. Um, we do see a lot of booksellers. We do, like, as I said, tomorrow I go down to Marimbula, then up that coast there. Mike, who helps us in Western Australia, he's on his way to the Kimberley. And he and Janine have been building the stock of samples in the back of the car for something like two weeks now. Right. It's arduous work. Because yes. you can hit a kangaroo like anything could happen. Yes. But it is the right way to do it. And the other thing that is a really serious part of our business is the way our data is organised. Having your data organised so as you can create these Onyx files because the Onyx files are the files that build the information um, in a file-to-file sense mm. between the supplier mm. And the outlet, those which is files. something that the bookshops use. Nothing that you need to know about, really, in terms of the the authors don't need to know about. Well, the, the authors need to. I think there's something like 30, 40 metadata fields, um, and I think we use a lot of them. I actually don't fill them in myself, but so when you're a self-published author, you do have to go and get your. Uh, cataloging publication information. Oh, yes, yeah. CIP and ISBN and all those Dewey, things. Yeah. Et cetera, um, because you've got there are a lot of fields to fill. You've got to put That's your right. barcode on the book. You'd be surprised at the books that still turn out without barcodes on them. I know, they're, they're cutting out sales, aren't they? It's really crazy. Well, it means <laughs> that uh, booksellers can't, they, they, they can't track them, so we then got to charge to stick a, every book that comes through with a barcode. Oh, so, yeah. Too much. Too much. All right. Look, we, we need to finish up now. Um, my last question uh, is, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to answer? Oh. <laughs> um. What message would you like to give self-published authors out there? Well, I think the, the message is there's really great hope. I think that with the, uh, the mechanism of how self-publishers can get their product to a marketplace has never been better. Never. Uh, there's so many businesses out there to help. There's so many businesses out there that can promulgate, that can do so many things. You've just got to walk through the levels of uh, commitment, the level of what you really think the outcome is going to be, because that, in a way, predicates or dictates which platform you work through. Wonderful business in America called Smashwords. Uh, the guy that runs that, he buys his ISBNs 100,000 at a time. And amazing. That, that is amazing. Mm. The other thing is don't believe any... Don't believe a lot of the stats that you read. Because basically, our calibration of the book trade, um, not all book sales are calibrated into, into data. So at the moment, we, um, we we have many people that say to us, oh, this is great, e-book's dead, print's taken over, 
Um, and I sort of shouted to say, well, hold on, it just means that the way that we track those sales hasn't kept up with change. And it's true. Like, I read Data Guy out of America, and the way Data Guy, or author's earnings report, Yes, follows, that's a very useful, uh, the Australian one too. Because mm. it, it says that what we're being fed is what we want you to, to hear. But in fact, the reality is uh, there's massive growth across all platforms. Yes. Um, we've got to have the books that are so good that we're not going to see more of a drop-off in independent book sales in Australia, mm. which I feel we are going to see a drop-off of independent book sales in Australia over the next few years as people, unfortunately, read the, the trite, uh, puerile crap in newspapers about the pending arrival of Amazon. Like, Amazon have been here and supplying consumers for, for at least 10 to 15 years. Mm. Um, the newspapers beat this into a, an incredible story of misinformation Mm. Um, Doom and which, gloom. Yeah, and it's not like <laughs> it's just that. Not like that. It's not no. like that. It's you now we're going to fight our fights. Mm. We fought the fight uh, as an industry against um, borders being next door to an independent bookshop, um, and our best independents they saw that off. Uh, we've fought the fight over the the massive rise of digital, mm-hmm. um, and we've still got wonderful bookshops out there, uh, mm. both in Australia and New Zealand. I was in. Unity in Wellington, I think three weeks ago, and it was just an amazing experience. I walked into the shop and thought, "Oh my goodness, I'm glad I left my money back at the apartment." <laughs> because it was such yes. such a pleasure to see yes. such a range of content. Yeah. yeah, it's not like walking into a fruit shop. No, you've got so many different varieties. Yeah, yeah. So wonderful. All right. Well. Um, Thank you very much for all that really valuable information and um, I hope that some of the listeners will contact you and provide you with the most wonderful next bestseller book. <laughs> we look forward to it. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this podcast from www.aussiewriters.com.au and if you are a reader or a writer, then hop on over to our website and subscribe.